0: Praise God! It's a great day to be alive if you're alive. Hey, man! Good to see everybody. We're happy that we get to spend the Tuesday evening in fellowship together. But let's have a word of, of prayer. Isla, you okay with your phone over there? You're not over there accidentally <laughs> dialing anybody. Everybody's calling me back oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Isla had her phone out and somebody was walking by, just punching numbers on our phone dialing people. And, you know, sometimes when we get older, we kind of get a little absent-minded and forget a few things, so that's not that working. On. Okay, come on, let's pray. Okay, Father, thank you for an opportunity to fellowship again, and just to be able to get into the word at this time of the week, we pray that you speak to all of our hearts in Jesus' name, amen, amen. In Exodus 3, I'd like to read the first five verses, and I want us to explore this burning bush and the deliverance of Israel out of Egypt and really see what maybe God will say to us corporately and individually. As far as Moses' calling and Israel's predicament, Exodus 3 verse 1, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire. and The bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Now, we know from chapter 1 that Israel was growing exceedingly in Egypt. And their multiplication was so great that the pharaoh and everyone wanted to increase their labors and did everything they could to make their life fairly hard in Egypt. However, there were some midwives that went out of their way to go so far as to even preserve the children, even after the decree had been given that they're to murder some babies. In chapter 2, you can see how the preservation of Moses came about and it was as divine and as supernatural as was the preservation of our savior. God went out of his way to make sure Moses lived so that he could be a deliverer, just like he went out of his way to preserve Jesus so he could be our savior. And Moses initially, of course, was rejected by his own people when he went. They told Him, please stop trying to help us. The more you help us, the worse things get for us. And as with Jesus, he came to his own people, and the Bible says they didn't receive him. They rejected him. They refused him. But if you'll notice the last two verses of chapter 2, you can see where Israel was crying out to God, and the scripture says God remembered his covenant. Now, that's important. If God makes a promise, he's going to honor his promise. And whatever our circumstances are down here, however bad our circumstances may be, God's never going to let one of his words fall to the ground. He will make sure they come to pass. Now let, let's never forget this. This is in the midst of the taskmasters being brutal to the Israelites. This is in the midst of children losing their lives in the Nile River. But yet the children of Israel continue to pray. Some people, if they pass through a little bit of hardship, they stop talking to God. They're not interested in God. They backslide away from God. We've probably all known people who've done that. They've said things like, well, I prayed and asked God to do something for me and he didn't do it. So I just decided I didn't want to serve God. And maybe there were people like this in ancient times. But in verse 24 of chapter 2, God heard their groanings because they were groaning. They were sighing. They were burdened. They were unhappy and displeased. And the Lord heard, and then God remembered. So, two points that are essential there. If we pray and talk to God, He hears and He remembers the covenant that He's made. He made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as you can see here. That's three generations. These three generations. Each of them struggled and had difficulty with childbearing. That's three generations. Abraham and Sarah struggled to conceive. Rebecca and Isaac struggled to conceive. Jacob and Rachel, the wife he loved, struggled to conceive. And having finally given birth to promised seed, You see some of that seed losing its life because of how bad the devil was in manifesting himself through Pharaoh. But God kept the covenant. God honored his covenant here. And verse 25, after we learned that God heard, God remembered. Verse 25, God looked upon the children of Israel. So he is paying attention, even if we don't think so. And it says he had respect unto them. That means he's now about to go out of his way to honor his covenant in a much more pronounced way. I took time. Chapter two talks about the preservation of Moses. Moses was raised in Pharaoh's house. Right about the time of 40 or so, he decided he wanted to go pay attention to his brethren and look upon them and He ended up murdering somebody, you remember. Then he went out in the desert for another four decades. And right about at the age of 80, then the Lord sends him back. And that's what we're going to pick up with here in chapter 3. But here's what I'm getting at. They started praying, and 80 years later, God started answering. He was in the process of answering before Moses ever appeared. And when you pray and ask God to do something for you, I don't ever want you under the impression that just because you don't see something taking place immediately, that he's not working behind the scenes. Sometimes God has to get the right people in the right spot in order to bring a greater blessing to you and to your life. Now, we don't always appreciate that. And certainly our calendar is the most important thing to us. But God's calendar is sometimes different from ours, and we can't always reconcile the dates and the time, because God is saying, okay, this is what I'm trying to do presently, and we're over here praying and groaning, just like the children of Israel, and our prayers normally go something like this, Lord, I need help yesterday. Yesterday. Not now, yesterday. And and God, he's already moving things, even when we don't see it. So in chapter 3, you can see, Moses, in his little period of exile, where he's hiding from Pharaoh because he took a man's life, he still is in a position where he's overseeing another man's property. So he's a steward. He's a shepherd, but he's a steward. And Moses is is learning what it is now to be outside of the palace of Pharaoh and not have the wealth and resources that were at his disposal, to not have the influence that he once had, the access to powerful people that were in the kingdom of Egypt. He's now working for his father-in-law, who's a priest. And of course, Moses is a shepherd. Now, Going all the way back to Genesis, we learned that the Egyptians didn't really like shepherds, thought they were unclean. And now here's Moses, that's the job that he has. If God brings us to a place where we come from the top to the bottom or from exaltation to some kind of humiliation, humbling period of our life, we we still have to be willing to do whatever we need to do. You know, you, you can... You could one day have been a lawyer, then another day end up, you know, doing something else. Pushing buttons on a cash register or something. But either either occupation is noble and good if you understand that whatsoever you're doing, you're doing for the Lord. And if you do it in the name of the Lord and you do it with the, with the idea that God is looking over your shoulder and you're faithful over little, God will make you ruler over A lot of things, but there has to be a place to start. And and let's never, ever think that we are above certain kinds of labor. Of course, the Egyptians, they would say there's no way on this earth they want to be a shepherd because, as I told you, they told Jacob they thought that was an unclean job. When I lived in Saudi Arabia, the average Arabian person of the kingdom of Arabia, their jobs they definitely wouldn't do. That's why they imported Filipinos, Pakistanis, Bangladeshis, and Sudanese people to be their maids, their butlers. And those are titles that are uh, a lot loftier than uh, the, the, the kind of position these folks actually occupied. They were basically indentured slaves. And once they landed in the kingdom, they gave their passport to their prince or to their whoever they were that was in charge of them, and they couldn't leave, couldn't do whatever they want. I actually visited a uh, a person one time who was, oh, I can't recall if it was a Ethiopian background or whatever it was, but I saw the little place where they lived in the house that they kept clean. The house they kept clean was probably every bit as big as all of the grounds out here where these buildings are. But yet, the little area where the person lived couldn't have been more than something that maybe about eight feet by ten feet, a little small room. Just kept like an animal in a in a little small place. But this this man Moses here, he's working for his father-in-law. Obviously, has a good relationship with him however he met his wife isn't told to us in this particular narrative but his father is some kind of a spiritual guy he's a priest we just don't know what kind of relationship with God he had or if he had one so I'm gonna work work on both sides let's suppose Moses introduced him to his God then that's a good thing and he would have he would learn the truth that way But Midianites by and large weren't covenant people. And so if Moses now working for his father-in-law, who's likely an ungodly man involved with idolatry, I want you to see that it's still possible for you to have knowledge of God and you hold on to your faith, even when you're connected with people that don't know God. You don't have to backslide just because you're around unbelievers. You can follow God. You can walk with God. You can hold fast to God, even when you are daily laboring with people who have no relationship with God. We forget that. but, But Moses didn't. And he was faithful in laboring under a man who, as I said, likely was not a believer and had no relationship with God. So if you find that you're working for a sinner Or working for somebody of another religious belief, you still do whatsoever you're doing as though you're doing it for the Lord. Yeah, that's how you do it. I I had a lot of people in in my life that I've worked for that were not Christian at all. didn't care anything about my Christianity, but I just did what I was told to do. And I didn't complain about what I had to do so long as I didn't have to be, have to involve myself in sin. See. I just did what I was told to do, and I expected the Lord to look after me, and he did. So Moses being the shepherd, he's on the backside of the desert, which is to say on the opposite side of the mountain, and he comes to the mountain of God. Now, it's called the mountain of God because of the presence of God throughout the book of Exodus that continues to descend on this place, the cloud of God, the lightnings and the thunders of, uh, of God. But isn't it interesting that God can reach you anywhere? Yeah. Moses, I think, thought he had escaped from God. He certainly thought he had escaped from Pharaoh. And God turned around and had his road going right back toward Pharaoh, and he had no idea. I don't know who I was talking to here a few days ago about this very same thing, about pride and arrogance and self-righteousness, and I was explaining how... People who really are filled with a, a haughty spirit, they dig ditches for other people. They want to see them fall, but they don't realize that as they're digging those holes for other people to fall in, they're actually digging a hole, and it's a perfect size for them. And, and, and they don't realize that, that the path that they're on very, very, very well is going to come back and connect them with the people that they despise and hate the most. And the reason for that is because they're blinded by their own anger. They're blinded by their own sin. Sometimes it's a form of pity that blinds them because pity is just pride in reverse. You see, I want everybody feel sorry for me rather than the opposite where I feel like I'm better than everybody. And Moses, of course, he's out there in the desert and he has no idea that he's going to see a Pharaoh again he's going to see him up close except he's going to see him with God helping him this time so verse 2 tells us this angel appeared to him in a flame he obviously did not know what was going on now there there are skeptics and unbelieving commentators that just want to tell you that Moses was out there in the middle of the desert and because it was so hot he looked over there and you know how when you're looking over some some hot uh, black concrete on the hot day how it looks like you got them heat waves coming up they, they like to put in some of these commentaries that that's what he looked and he saw and, and it just looked like it was on fire well I mean you, you'd have to pretty much be a, a madman to not know the difference between a, a bush on fire and some heat waves going up but this was a flame of fire coming out of the midst of the bush it caught his attention caught his attention, and he was fascinated by it, and he looked. Something out of the ordinary was used by God to get his attention. And when God's trying to get your attention, he'll use some extraordinary things also. Don't don't ever cut God off or put God in a box and say something like, well, I just don't think God's big enough to be able to attract me or get my attention. He'll get your attention through a bird coming to sing on a branch next to you. Yeah. yeah, my my treasurer over in Red Cloud years ago, he was having a difficulty, and I can't remember everything that was going on, but really facing a time of, of of some sadness and some sorrow. And he was out early one morning, and he had gotten out of the the tractor, and just maybe a mile or so, half mile or so away from him, there was this little bluff up there, and he's just kind of looking at that. It's a beautiful morning. And he said something like this in his heart. God, if you even care about me, just let a buck come stand up there on that bluff. Just look at me. Now, he's saying this as he's doing stuff. And then he, he stands up and he looks over there on that bluff. And sure enough, there's a buck standing there with a big rack off in the distance and just took that strong posture and was just looking in his direction. And didn't move for about 30 seconds. You don't know what God will do for you. But here's the thing. God knew he was going to be mumbling and complaining when he got out of that tractor. And start doing that praying stuff. So you know somewhere earlier in the morning God had to put it in that buck's heart. to Just start wandering over there into that area. So your prayers when they're answered. They aren't just answers simply because you prayed and at that moment God had to make it happen. The Bible says before you call on me, I'll answer. He already knew you were going to pray that prayer. So he's putting things in, in position. So God used this burning bush to catch his attention. And I can assure you, if I ever came to your house and saw a bush on fire outside, it'd get my attention too. Yeah, yeah it, it, it would. As, as many times... As I've sat with uh with Mike and Lynn outside where they have all of that uh vegetation, uh what is a lattice with all this stuff on there and and them birds coming there, you know, watching those hummingbirds and all of that kind of stuff. You know, I, I sit there and I drink my coffee, of course, hoping nothing falls in from the top and All these birds coming in and out of these little houses and stuff they got over there. But but I've wondered how how, how many times has somebody probably sat in that one or in another one similar and said something like, Lord, let a cardinal just come sit on that branch over there. You see. And then God goes out of his way to send one. A burning bush set on fire. It's the angel of the Lord. It's burning, and the bush isn't being consumed. So, it's a it's a marvelous sight, almost like the mountain of God when it was on fire, but yet itself was not consumed. And Moses said, "I'm going to stop and take a look at that." That's the same thing you would have said. Just take in this sight; it's beautiful. If if you've been to some, if you've traveled, you probably found that in all of your travels, there are one or two places that really stand out to you for their beauty, you know. And you probably just looked out there and thought, oh my goodness, I wish I'd stand here for the rest of my life and just take that in, you know, just captivates you. And Moses, when he saw this bush, not quite knowing that this is a God thing, he obviously knew this was unusual. And it's the unusual things that we tend to remember. That's why it's in the book. Yeah, that's why it's in the book. Utterly unusual. So Moses said, I'll turn aside and see this great sight. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he turned, that's when God began to talk. He's looking for our submission. He's looking for us to yield. He's looking to see how we're going to react to what he does. This is why I've told people so many times, if you wake up in the middle of the night and the telephone has not rung, and nobody's trying to come through your window and there's nobody pushing a button and there's not a pain in your body and nobody's shaking you, trying to wake you up. But your eyes just pop open in the middle of the night. God's probably trying to talk to you. He wants an audience with you. So you probably ought to just get up and go ahead and go to the living room or kitchen, wherever you spend a little time with the Lord, because if you turn around, if you turn over and just try to go back to sleep, you're probably going to be tossing and turning and never get back to sleep anyhow. God, he pays attention to how we respond to him, how you react to him. Your reaction could very well determine someone else's deliverance. So we, we had someone... In not too long ago, had uh, some dreams uh, about Tiffany and I. They were concerned. They thought, you know, I kept having this recurring dream. We were in a car and just passed away or something like that. And and so this person was just distraught over this. Just just had a hard time. Just, just listening to me teach kept thinking I'm gonna lose pastor, gonna lose pastor, gonna lose pastor and all this kind of a thing. And, and so Tiffany went and spent a little time with this person to let them know that if you have a dream like that, that's the time to pray. To intercede. To stand in the gap and say, Father, we're praying against this. We believe that you're going to continue to provide life. We're standing in intercession for them, asking you to deliver them. God very well could be making you a steward of a mystery. You go to sleep and wake up in the middle of the night and you see your child or spouse in a coffin. That is not the time to just roll back over in bed. You need to pray. God, if I'm seeing something that that the devil is trying to do, then I want to be the person to stand in the gap. And if you're faithful over something like that, then God may talk to us about greater things. So the reaction is important. Once the Lord saw that Moses turned aside. God called to him out of the midst of the bush. So he'll he'll speak. If he if he has our attention. You ever try to have a conversation with somebody that while you're talking to them, they won't look at you. They're looking off in another direction, see what's going on. You know what you ought to do when they do that. Just stop talking. Yeah, just stop talking. You know, you're having a conversation and then they look past you. They're trying to just just wait. And then when they look back and say, well, what's going on? I was listening. Doesn't matter. I didn't have your attention. You're trying to see what's going on over here. And, and this is how the king is. Once he saw that he had Moses' attention, he starts speaking. Everything God says is important. And when God is talking and we believe it's him, he should be able to hold our attention. Amen? I think so. You know, if, if, if I go to fellowship and I, I'm sitting in the service and the person is up teaching or or ministering the word of God, then as far as I'm concerned, that person is a spokesperson for the king, so I want to hear what they have to say. I'm not trying to worry about who's getting up, going to the restroom, or going out, or doing this, or doing that. I'm doing everything I can to focus, because there may be something said that very well could change my life. Now, I do realize I've been in services before where uh, I'm sitting somewhere, and while I'm trying to listen to the preacher, then there's a little little kid that pops up and's doing like this to me. I've had that happen on many occasions. But that that's a reason why Pastor Darrell, when he's traveling in different churches, he comes down to the front row. Cause nobody can do that on the front row unless the pastor or the preacher's doing that. Okay? Yeah. See, sit in the front. You won't you won't have to deal with all that. Okay. So then, <clears throat> verse four, when the Lord saw that He turned aside. God called to him. and then Moses' response was, "Here am I." This, this very much sounds like the situa- situation with Samuel. You remember that? Samuel laid down to go to sleep. Eli was supposed to be looking after him, but Eli had somewhat gone blind. His role was to look after the candlestick, make sure there was illumination in the tabernacle. But being blind, the candle went out. He didn't know it. That kind of a thing. So Samuel went to bed one night, and while he was laying there, that's when God started calling his name. And He jumped up, kept running in there thinking it was the priest. And the priest said, no, it's not me calling you. And after several times of that, finally the priest said to him, look, if you lay down again and you hear that voice, and you go ahead and you basically say, look, Lord, I'm listening. Go ahead and talk to me. And that's what Samuel did. Yeah, That's what he did. The, the voice of God can be so gentle, so subtle. It can be loud if it needs to be, but it certainly can come to you in a whisper. I can't tell you exactly what it'd be like if he's talking to you because it's, I can't say it's a husky voice. I can't say it's a light voice. I can just simply say, you will always know if God's talking to you. In fact, if if you ever say something and you're a bit harsh with someone and God comes and convicts you in your heart, you know, it's God, you know, because he, he, he'll, he'll keep dealing with you about that. Yeah, he'll just keep whispering, saying what you said may have been right, but how you said it was wrong. So apologize and, and, and tell them that you're asking for for their forgiveness. And when God's voice comes, it brings liberation and freedom to us because we're now free of the conviction and the guilt and the shame that comes because of, of, of our, our wrong deed or action. So verse 5, the Lord says to Moses, don't come too close. He said, first take your shoes off. This is holy ground. Why is it holy? Not because of the presence of Moses, but because of the presence of God. Yeah, the presence of that angel appearing in that bush. When two people gather, the Bible says Jesus is in the midst of them. That becomes a holy place. That becomes a holy ground. When we come out to fellowship and we gather together, this is because we want the presence of God, we want the word of God, and his presence is the most important thing. Yeah. And God's presence in the midst of his people Creates different feelings, different emotions, certainly a different temperament. It's, it's different than what we would find if we were at a political rally. There's, I mean, there'll be exuberance and there'll be excitement. God's not opposed us using our emotions in our worship of him. But it's a totally different kind of thing at a political rally than what we have here, because this will be godly. So when I, I gather with the saints... I try my best to be godly, to be holy in my decorum, in the way that I understand how believers should gather together. In verse 5, the Lord's telling him to take off his shoes. You know, it's kind of like the priest who walked bare feet in the tabernacle as they did the work of God. The Lord wanted those bare feet on that earth that he had made, dust touching dust as they were laboring there in the outer court and things like that. But I'm I'm just simply trying to emphasize all of these things, as you can see, are significant and important to God. I could walk you through the scriptures and show you how many times the Lord said something to someone about their attire in his presence, the dress in his presence. Of course, we, we know that too many clothes... Too many clothes won't make any man or woman holy or holier. But I can tell you that too few clothes uh, will affect your your holiness. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Uh, In present day times, I I watch in uh, fellowships and services and see where people don't honor God the way he should be honored. You know, yeah, I've, I've seen people come to church wearing less clothes than uh, some grandparents who let their grandkids go to bed with at night for pajamas. Yeah, I've seen people come to the house of God like they're going to a volleyball game, you know. But but for the believer, in in honoring God and reverencing God, since our desire is for a manifestation of his presence then the scripture says we ought not let any flesh glory in his sight you know so it takes god to work on individual people you know i'm not like uh, a friend of mine who tells about one preacher who was what they call a clothesline preacher. you know clothesline preacher all they talked about was clothing and how people dressed and, he just, and my friend tells about how he got to church one day and he said the pastor was out there in the parking lot with a ruler or a yardstick. And he said as people were coming out of their cars walking up towards the uh the doors of the church, he's out there measuring the lady's skirts to see how far they came above the knee. And he said he got too close to one woman, touched her knee and the husband hauled off and hit the preacher out there in the parking lot. See that just ought right, just ought not be involved with stuff like that. We have to allow God to talk to Moses and at the same time to talk to people individually. But what I as a pastor must do is try to help create the conditions in which God can speak to people. See The conditions, because without the conditions, God doesn't talk. He won't say anything. If he feels like everyone is irreverent and nobody's paying attention, he'll stop talking yeah let let somebody start trying to give a prophecy in church, and then everybody's getting up going to the restroom or walking out when God's trying to say something you You'll find that pretty soon there won't be that manifestation. It'll just fade out. you know God wants to be honored, you know He doesn't want to be disrespected. So verse verse six, then <clears throat> he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob." And Moses hid his face where he was afraid to look upon God. Moses knew about this God. He'd heard stories about this God. But now he's having his own encounter with God and it's personal. I, I can't emphasize this enough. God doesn't have grandchildren. He only has children. And it's very important for every one of you young people and all of us adults to have our own encounters with God. Because you cannot make it to heaven just simply telling people or trying to tell God about the encounter that your parents had or your brother had. This has to be personal. It has to be one that you have with him. You're face to face with the king, and the Lord is talking directly to you. And Moses knew that this was real, and he was so ashamed, he just kind of hid his face, couldn't look upon him. Yeah, who, who, who am I to look upon a holy and wonderful God like this? So that, that's what God's presence oftentimes does. You see people fall down because they don't want to look up, and then the angel of the Lord will say, Stand up on your feet. Yeah. People are just humbled by the fact the Lord would appear and manifest to them. Well, a, a healthy fear of God is a good thing. It's a good thing. And this is preparatory for what Moses is going to need when he gets to Egypt. How he acts here at the burning bush is going to help him when he has to stand in front of Pharaoh when he's in Egypt. And how we conduct ourselves when the Lord is dealing with our hearts has everything to do with how we're going to conduct ourselves when dealing with unbelievers and people who don't know God. If I can humble myself in God's presence, then I'll be able to be a good witness amongst unbelievers. Yeah. And it's much better if we would humble ourselves in the beginning than wait until we're humiliated in the end. See? Yeah. So we can have the humility... And we can have the blessing that comes along with that rather than having to experience the humiliation that comes sometimes when we don't want to acknowledge God. Some people, they run from God, you know, they run from God because they're angry with God. Remember, he's been out here 40 years and I don't know what his... I don't know what his spiritual life and his spiritual status was while he was out here in this desert. I just know that the book of Acts tells us he was raised in the wisdom of the Egyptians. So he obviously would have understood how to read hieroglyphics. He would have known everything about the Egyptian gods. Now he's out here. He's learning a few things from the priest of Midian. But yet in the back of his mind, he knows that he's got a mama that's a Jewish lady. And he knows about the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He's heard the history, the story, the tales. But now he's got to see the reality of it. And God comes on the scene. Yeah. Because with one generation, it's, it's a conviction of the power of God. It's the reality. The next generation comes along and sees his rules and precepts. And it's a drudgery. Then third generation, very often people walk away from God, don't want to do it anymore. So here is, is Moses. He has this visitation from the king, and he knows the reality of this. And the Lord says in verse 7, I've seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. I've heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. He sees. Even when we think he doesn't see, he sees. I was listening earlier today to a, a testimony from when uh, there was a crusade down in Albuquerque, New Mexico. and a, a lady had written in when she was in her late 20s and was telling about how when the preacher was down there, and it was Brother, brother Swagger, how when he was down there, <clears throat> she would given her heart to the Lord, you know. And uh, her story kind of went like this because she wasn't at the crusade, but she saw it later on television. And she said that when she was eight years old, her dad started coming in there in the middle of the night doing stuff that wasn't nice to her, in a room. And and she said she'd lay there in that bed and she'd pray, God help me, you know, help me. And never got any kind of help that she thought, and this went on to her teenage years, well she got to where she could leave that house, she took off and ran away. And pretty soon she had one lover after another, got involved with drugs and alcohol, her life was pretty much a mess. and. Empty. She hated God because she felt like God didn't answer her prayers as a little girl. She hated her dad because of what he did. She hated the church because her dad was a preacher. See? Just didn't want to have anything to do with religion at all. Just angry, bitter, understandably so. <clears throat> well years this went on. We're talking 15, 20 years this kind of went on in in this area where she's just in sin and involved with a lot of terrible things. But but one night because of her background and being unable to deal with the grief, the guilt, the shame, feeling unclean, one night she was ready to take her life. She's up in the middle of the night and you know, as often is the case, you turn on that TV in the middle of the night. You got all kinds of things on there. You know, you used to have people on there. You know, middle of the night telling you how you can get rich if you just call this number, and 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 uh, you know all these things. But that night you turn that thing on, and there, early in the morning, there's Mr. Swagger preaching the gospel, telling people it doesn't matter how dirty, how unclean, how bad your life has been blood of Jesus can cleanse you. You can start over. You can begin again. Well, she, she was captivated by what she was hearing. See, here's her burning bush. She's captivated. And, and she just sat there on the edge of that bed. And, and, and conviction came all over. And in her testimony, she said she'd never felt the power of God before. She started weeping and crying, sitting on that bed. He gave it the call for salvation. She fell on her knees and prayed, gave her life to God. But then down in here, see, once God sees you turn aside to see, then he talks to you. Then she heard these words in her heart. I want you to get up and call your dad and tell him you forgive him. Wow, she hadn't talked to him, heard his voice in nearly two decades. And she didn't want to do that. She, she thought that itself would be the death of her to have to make that phone call and and hear that voice but yet god was dealing with her and sure enough over several days as she wrestled with god she finally relented just submitted and she made that phone call and he picked that phone up and when she heard his voice she said everything in her just cringed because it just brought back a flood of all of those emotions she had as a little girl right on up into her teenage years and she said her dad was on that other line said hello Hello, because this was long before there was ever any call or ID or anything like that. And finally, she said, Dad, this is Marie. That wasn't her name. She said, this is Marie. And when her dad heard her voice, he just started crying on the telephone. And she said to him, Dad, I gave my heart to the Lord here recently, and I'm calling to let you know I forgive you. And he just wept and cried on that phone because, you know, he's at a period of his life now. He hadn't talked to his daughter. He's estranged from his daughter. He knows what he's done to his daughter. But now that burden is gone. He can apologize too. So in just a few moments, liberty came to two people. Simply because of the blood and the power of Jesus. Moses is going to get up from here and he's going to set a whole lot of Israelites free. He is. He doesn't realize that the the depth of this and how powerful it's going to be. He has no idea the number of lives he's going to change. And it's the same thing with, with us when we think about Christ and what he's able to do, the power of God that brings forgiveness and cleansing of sin. Think of how many relationships have been repaired because of the blood of Jesus. What would this world be like if Christ had never come? It'd be a lot less forgiveness. we would be a lot of grudge bearing. But when we think of all that Jesus went through, that here he had to bear the stripes on his back. Innocent man hadn't done anything wrong, had to bear that cross all the way to Golgotha's heel. Then he had to be hoisted up in the air knowing that he's dying for the very ones that are holding the mallet and the nails that are about to put him right there. He's in pain, he's in agony, and they're gambling for his garments. Yet that man can hang up there on that cross and he can say, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. I, I think salvation is a powerful thing. And, and when God starts working in our lives, we have to remember that there is no sin. Beyond the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, no sin that his blood can't handle. And if we can only get to him, then we'll find the liberty that we need. Everybody needs a burning bush experience. Everybody. And then after we've had one, we need to know that it's likely we're going to have a few more in our Christian life. Yeah. A few more encounters with God. And when we have them, we won't forget them. You won't even forget where you were. No, you won't. It's just like somebody, you know, if they hear a certain song, you know, going back to even before before they were a Christian, they hear a certain song and it brings back memories of a time and place in their life. People that they were with, you know. And the the, the journey is the same with God. Some Christian songs, some Christian prayers, some readings in the scripture have really grabbed hold to you at different seasons in your life. And you can always remember that verse right there spoke to me when I was passing through this valley. Yeah, I remember being on this mountaintop and God spoke to my heart. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We know your word is true. And in looking at Moses and his calling and the way that you got his attention, we pray that we would be every bit as submissive as that man was. Help us to live every day for you, with you, in you, because of you. In Jesus' mighty name and everyone said, Amen, Amen.